I don't think I introduced myself. My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and uh, last week, Brad was, we're going through the book of Ruth here. Last week, Brad took us through Ruth chapter 2. And today we're going to go through Ruth chapter 3. And one part of the message last week that Brad was talking about is he, he drew a parallel between Ruth chapter 2 and Proverbs 31. And most of us are probably familiar with Proverbs 31, particularly the section known as the woman of noble character. And today we're going to talk some about walking in that path, all of us walking in that path of good character, noble character. But since it is Mother's Day, and we don't necessarily want to make a huge deal about Mother's Day, but I like this verse from Proverbs chapter 31 that pertains to Mother's Day, talking about the woman of noble character. It says, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Now, when it comes to my wife, for those of you who don't know me, I'm married, been married, coming up on 18 years here, I have six children. When it comes to my wife, I know this verse to be true intuitively. I, kinda, I just know it's true. But this past week, I got to see it in a whole new light. Because my wife took my 15-year-old, my oldest son, and they went to Washington, D.C. On a, on a fun trip together for five days. And I continued on with my three jobs and also took on the work that she does. <laughs> Managing the other five kids in the house and the meals and the cleaning and all of that stuff. And my conclusion when I think about my wife is that she indeed looks well to the ways of our household. And there is no time for her to be idle my kids missed her a lot. They expressed thankfulness for her, and I am praising her now. And so I look at this verse and I go, hey, that's my life. <laughs> that's my reality. So today, for those of you who are men here, I'd like you to consider your mom or consider the mom in your family where you live. And I encourage you to praise her for the work that she does and has done and continues to do. She is looking well to the ways of your household. And moms, we are thankful for you. As a church. And as a church, I, I tried to hit as many of you as I could beforehand with our gift. We have a gift, a book for you. Uh, moms, if I didn't catch you before the service, there's some on the red tablecloth table out there in the hallway. It is a book about raising kids in the little years, and some of you have done that well and moved on to other things. You're still welcome to one of those books and read it and be encouraged or pass it on to some other woman in your life who you think could use it. But we just want to say thank you. It's just such a small token. It's, it's almost so small, it's kind of meaningless. But we just wanted to say, hey, thank you for being a mom. Whether this is your first time here or you've been here forever, we just want to give you a gift this morning. So, on Mother's Day today, we're going to read the third chapter of Ruth together. And as we do, I'd love for you, as we read along, you can open your Bible or you can, if you've got your phone or your notepad, you can take some notes. As we read through it, I'll put it on the screen Definitely be thinking about what sticks out to you as you read this. What is impressed on you? Jot down a, not, a note or, or hold a thought. And just, This is the word of God. In our church, we are convinced that where it says all scripture is God-breathed, that means that what we read today from the book of Ruth came from the mouth of God. And so we better pay attention. Amen. So let's pay attention here, and we'll go through it, and then after we go through it, and I'm going to share just a couple of thoughts as I've studied on this and prayed about it and meditated on it and thought about it here. I've got a couple of thoughts to share from it, but let's let the Word of God come and land in our hearts this morning. So, starting off in Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. 
So Naomi, her mother-in-law, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize her. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? She told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord. So I've got two, two thoughts from this passage I wanted to share with you today. And the first one is this. First is that God has placed wise people into your life. Listen to them. You go, okay, well, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? What is wisdom and how do we get it? Well, we can define wisdom pretty simply. Even though it's a deep subject, we could define it simply as the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. And I don't know about you, if you're like me, but I am constantly in a need to know what to do. I have a lot going on. I have a lot of responsibilities. I have a lot of challenges and a lot of things going on in my life. And I have this constant need to know what to do. I need wisdom. I'm not special in that way. I think every single one of us needs that wisdom. And so how do we get it? How do we get wisdom? Well, I see in the Word of God, in James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, oh, that's me, and if you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. What a promise. 
We get to go to the source of all wisdom and ask for it. We go, okay, so we go to God and ask for it. What, is it just going to sort of magically appear? Is he just going to speak out of a cloud? How does it show up? Well, the Bible shows us in a variety of ways that there seems like there's really three places we're going to get wisdom from God. One is from the Bible. One is from prayer. And one is from counsel from others. Now, each of those could be a message or a whole series in and of themselves. Today, we're just going to talk a little bit about the third one, counsel. Getting wisdom from other people. God has placed wise people into your life, and we want to listen to them. So, from whom should I seek counsel to get wisdom? Who are those people? Who are those wise people who God has placed around me? I'm not sure I know any wise people. Maybe you say that, or maybe you go, yeah, maybe I kind of know some people. But who are they? We'll all identify them. Some five suggestions for you here of who those people are. The first one is older people. I don't mean that in a derogatory way. Oh, those older people. But somebody who is older than you, because somebody who is older than you has walked down the path of life before you. They have more years under your belt. Job chapter 12, verse 12. Wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. Proverbs sixteen thirty one. Gray hair is a crown of glory. And I'm getting some gray hairs just like my father did when he was in his 40s, and my kids kind of pick on me on that, and they oh, Dad's getting old, and I go, yeah, it's a crown of glory, I'm growing it out. <laughs> Older people have wisdom. I think in my life, I was trying to think of a good example, and a number of you know Tim Kavanaugh. Some of you have been in, were in Tim's, cat, Tim's church before you came here, and you've known Tim for a long time. And for those of you who don't know, Tim is uh, currently in China, serving as pastoring an underground church there. And think of all the times I've spent with Tim, and it, maybe it hasn't been a ton, but and Tim's not an old guy. He's just older than me, and he's been on this journey of pastoring and family and so forth for a long time, and I just love to go and sit and listen to him and ask him his thoughts and get his perspective and his wisdom on teaching, on pastoring, on family, on life. When I was in China last summer, I, he and I took a walk, and it was one of the sweetest conversations I've ever had. And I don't think he necessarily had a lot of do this and do this and do this. He just listened, and he offered wisdom. It was, it was just great. So older people. God has placed older people in your life. He's also placed experienced people in your life. And we understand this intuitively. you got a plumbing problem you call the plumber, who's in, hopefully expert in plumbing, or you call somebody a friend or me or somebody who knows something about plumbing. We understand that we ask experts. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. do you see a man skillful in his work? Do you see one? You should ask him for wisdom. He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. God has placed them in your life. People with experience. I had the blessing when I was a graduate student to be taking a, a, a course in architectural design and we were uh, doing construction things, <clears throat> we were building furniture, and the instructor was a wise man. He was very, very experienced. <clears throat> and he passed on a piece of wisdom to me that is, I've had application for in all walks of life. He said, do you know what the difference between an expert and an amateur is? The expert knows how to fix his mistakes. And as I've faced many things in many arenas of life, and I go, oh, I'm making mistakes. Oh, God, help me to be an expert and fix the mistakes. Experienced people have wisdom to offer us. In addition, our parents. Now, of course, I phrase it as moms. I think moms maybe have more wisdom sometimes than dads. We can be kind of dense sometimes. Proverbs twenty-three, twenty-two. Listen to your father. 
listen to your father. <laughs> I don't know how we would say this, what voice that would be. He gave you life, and don't despise your mother when she is old. God has placed parents in our life, and so if you're a kid and you're living in your house, you go with your parents, you go, oh, well, maybe I don't like my dad very much today, or maybe my mom is on my, driving me nuts, and guess what? God has placed them in your life. But not just when you're young, when you're older. God's placed those parents. They're your parents for life as long as they're on this earth. And you're on this earth. They're there for you. I think about my mom on this Mother's Day. And my mom, some of you know my mom. A little short lady from Texas. It's her little accent. When I was young and I was, maybe I was a teenager, my mom had the wisdom to know me. And she knew when I went off to school and I would take exams, I had a tendency to rush through and to only look at something. And I'm still that way. I'm very much a doer. I want to do, 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 and not really think so much about things. And my mom was like, how can I, my boy goes off to school and how do I help him? And so when she knew I had a test, every day I had a test, she would say, now on that test, I want you to think, 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 and check, check, check. can't tell you how many times I found mistakes on my tests when I was check, check, checking. <laughs> and now I have a son who kind of has the same challenges that I did, and we say the same thing to him. It's a piece of wisdom for my mom that has blessed me in my life. Our parents have wisdom. God has placed them into our life, and we need to listen to them. In addition, we have pastors. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders, talking about your church leaders, and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. You might say, Greg, this seems a little (laughs) self-serving. You're talking about yourself here. What? Oh, you're the wise person in my life, Greg. And I go, well, I don't know. But I say God's placed me into this role. In some ways, I don't think it's self-serving because if you come to me and ask me for wisdom, it's it's not easy for me. (laughs) It doesn't make my life easier. But God's called you to do it. Brad and I are here to help you in that. I think of my own life, and I think of all the pastors and who've come before me. Some of you remember Rich, who's here before, and John Meyer, and Pat Nury in Seattle. And I think back to my high school youth pastor and so forth, and they have given me countless times of spiritual input into my life and guided me. And I go, well, there's a special wisdom, I guess, that God has given us. And I go, in, in all humility, I'll try to help you however I can, and that's really what I think Brad and I are here for. God's placed pastors into your life. He's given you this opportunity to seek counsel and wisdom from them. But beyond just all of these people, there's just very simply godly people. God has placed godly people into your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That means if you are godly, God has given you wisdom, and there are godly people around you who have wisdom. As I was thinking and praying about this, what came to my mind was um, the man who runs the engineering and architecture company I've worked for for 15 years, and he is a godly, godly man. And I think back over the past 15 years, and I go, wow, almost every conversation with him has been a blessing in my life. One piece of wisdom he gave me along the way. He said, if you are ever in a situation where someone is trying to sell you something or get you to make a quick decision and they say, I need to know now, your answer should always be no. Don't rush big decisions. 
That is a piece of wisdom from a godly person that has been helpful to me. And we all have that. We have godly people. You have godly people sitting around you right here today. They've been placed in your life to offer you wisdom. So you look at that list, older people, experienced people, moms and dads, pastors, godly people, what do they all share in common as it relates to you? They care about you. They care about you. Don't seek wisdom from people who are just self-interested or uninterested. Seek wisdom from people who care about you. So let's go back to Ruth. We go back to Ruth and we recognize that Ruth was in this really tough situation. She was in a really difficult situation. She was single. And not just single, she was a widow. She was a foreigner. Here she was back in Israel, but she was never from there. She was a stranger in a strange land. She was destitute. She and Naomi had nothing. That's why she's out there trying to pick up just the stalks of grain just to kind of make ends meet. They were destitute. They had nothing. And they had no men in that male society. They had no male protection. They were alone and vulnerable. So what did Ruth do? She sought the wisdom of her mother-in-law, Naomi. She said, what should I do? And look at those categories. We had Naomi fits most of those categories. Naomi was a wise person placed into Ruth's life. But we also got to look back and say, okay, so she sought Naomi's wisdom and what did Naomi tell her to do? What did she tell her to do? She said, uh, take a bath. <laughs> Anoint yourself with oil. Wear a cloak. Go down to the threshing floor. I want you to hide in the shadows so no one can see who you are. And then this guy, once he's asleep, he's maybe had plenty to drink and had to eat and had his fill and done his work and he falls asleep. I want you to go and like uncover his feet. Take the blanket off of his feet and lie down on his feet. And then once you've done that, just wait. And when he wakes up, do whatever he tells you to do. Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, we know this story and it kind of lands on us, but I go, you know, I got daughters. I would not tell my daughters to do this. <laughs> I would not tell daughters to do this at all. None of us probably would want to even walk into a situation like this. Be like, oh man, there's a lot of temptation. There's a lot of uncertainty. This has got a really bad appearance on the surface. So why did Naomi say to do this? Because she was wise. And she knew Boaz had excellent character. And she understood Jewish culture. She understood the customs. She understood the history. But most importantly, she knew the Almighty God. And she brought that to bear on Ruth's life. Naomi trusted God and passed that wisdom on. And so our application is, how, how do I get wisdom from these godly people? Okay, so there's godly people like Naomi. How do I get that wisdom from them? There's really three steps to it, and they're pretty simple. But sometimes we've got to review the simple things, don't we? The first thing is you ask for it. <laughs> people have wisdom. You've got to go ask for it. It's not just popping out of their mouths randomly at random time. Oh, I just grabbed that. You've got to go ask for wisdom. And that's tough in our individualistic, Google-centric, I'll just look it up on the web kind of culture. You've got to go ask somebody for wisdom. I don't think Google has wisdom. But just ask those questions. Go to somebody. Go to somebody on this list and say, what do you think? What would you do in my shoes? What would you do in this situation? What do you think I should do? Can you help me here? And listen. 
That's the second thing. Listen to it. What do I mean by listen? I don't just mean, oh, hear it. Internalize it. Compare it to other input. Look at the scripture and say, does that wisdom, how does it line up with the scripture? How does it go together? Listen to it. Internalize it. But we can't stop there. Because then it's just hanging out in space. The third thing we have to do to get wisdom is to actually do what they said. In my experience, the hardest part of getting wisdom is to act on it. If you take the ratio of the times I've been asked for wisdom and the times people have done the things, not that it's all about what I say, but I go, wow, that ratio ought to be one, but it's a really small number. I love what Ruth says there. Verse 6. Naomi gives her the wisdom, and then what? She went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. She did it. She went, she asked for it, she listened to it, and she did it. Let's be like Ruth. Let's ask, let's listen, and let's do it. So that was the first thought I had from this chapter. The second thought is this, that God's best is for us to relate to each other in honor and purity. I think that flows some from the wisdom. You know, the Bible is full of verses about purity. I'm going to put a few up on the screen this morning. Psalm chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. We want to be close to God. We want to be right. We want to be in fellowship. We need to pursue purity. Romans 13, verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. No provision. Pursue honor. Pursue purity. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is a great filter through which to run any thought, any idea in your mind. And purity is there. It's one of them. It's very important. Titus chapter 1 verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. We want to be pure. God's call is for us to be pure. 1 Timothy 5, 1, 2. As we relate to each other, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Can you see it? Can you see the theme of honor and purity? And this is just scratching the surface of the verses that are in the Bible that talk about this. God's best. God's best is for us to treat each other with purity and honor. So back, back to Ruth. The situation, when you really think about the situation with Ruth, it was just ripe with opportunities for really bad stuff. Right? Here they was, she went out to the field and there was all these men in the field. And they were very rough, probably rough around the edges. And they had every opportunity to take advantage of a very vulnerable woman. And here was Ruth. We look at Ruth and we go, wow, Ruth was really desperate. She was in a really desperate situation. She could have taken matters into her own hands. She could have turned to a lot of bad stuff. She could have turned to prostitution. She could have gone after the young man. You know, there could have been all these things she could have done. Then there was Boaz. Boaz was available and he was unmarried, but he was wealthy and he was powerful. It was been very easy for him to take advantage of Ruth in these situations. 
And doesn't this remind you of our culture today just a little bit? We live in such a weird culture. We're all familiar with the Me Too movement, the hashtag, the thing that's been going on there in our culture. And when it comes to that, I just want to make sure, clear, I stand against men who abuse and demean and exploit women. It's not right. There's no place for it in our society. There's no place for it in our church. It's not God's best. Abuse and exploitation and demeaning is wrong. Wrong, wrong. But let's be very clear. We've got to be very clear about it. When we look at our culture, it's very sad because our culture has created a realm of loose morals, if any. Our culture does not emphasize purity. We look at the world and we go, wow, men from a young age are just taught to be animals. Sexual animals filled with pornography and portrayed in particular ways in the media and taught to act a certain way. On the other side, women are taught to be objects. Why are we surprised? Why are we surprised that men are taking advantage of women? A culture that sows impurity is going to reap impurity, isn't it? And that's what we see around us. And again, I'm not justifying, I'm not denying that it's happening. I'm not minimizing the seriousness of any of it. It's all very serious and very bad, but we are sadly reaping what we have sown as a culture. And I think the church is called to live differently. And that's what we're going to strive for as a church. Let's look back again to the story of Ruth. There was those men in the field and they had this opportunity to take advantage. Ruth got up to glean and Boaz gave orders to his men. He said, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stocks from her in the bundles and leave them for her and pick up. Don't rebuke her. Care for her. Protect her. Honor her. These men were given boundaries. They were given boundaries by Boaz that really just come from the scripture. They come from God. God's boundaries for how to act. And these guys respected it. And when respecting it, they participated in creating a culture of purity and honor. What about Ruth? Ruth listens to Naomi and she says, I will do whatever you say. And then she goes and does what she says. Ruth walked in the boundaries. She said, here's the boundaries. These are the boundaries of this Judaic culture and the boundaries of the wisdom that Naomi has given me. And I'm going to walk in faith and not go try to do my own thing and make things happen and be impure. I'll do all. I'm going to walk in purity. Ruth did it and she was at peace. She was at peace going, all right, trust God. Walk in purity and honor. And then there's Boaz. I love that last verse. Don't you? The man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Such a great verse. I love it. Boaz was faced with a difficult situation. Think about that. He's like, oh, I'm tired. And I had maybe plenty to drink and worked hard and finished the threshing. And lying down, I wake up and, oh, there's a woman at my feet. <laughs> There's an opportunity for him to take advantage and he probably could have gotten away with it. It was a difficult and a tempting situation, but he did the right thing. He did the right thing. He took responsibility. He showed self-control. He fostered purity and honor. And so our application is a church. We must strive to create a culture of honor and purity in the midst of a society that doesn't. That's what we're aiming for. Just like this story of Ruth, we have to remember that when we do this, 
it produces good fruit. When we don't sow to impurity, we won't reap impurity. When we sow to honor and purity, we'll reap honor and purity and good from God. And this comes when we set good boundaries. When we set good boundaries on how we communicate with each other. When we set good boundaries on how we're transparent and accountable to each other. We need to aim to protect, to care, and to serve. And as I was thinking through this, I came up with a few questions for each of us to just reflect on. And these are really convicting and challenging questions for men. In our church, are you looking to protect the women around you? Are you looking to protect? Are you walking in the boundaries set by God's word? If you don't know what those boundaries are, maybe it's because you're not spending enough time understanding God's word. Are you treating and speaking and relating to women, as it says there in 1 Timothy, with absolute purity? Or not? And are you serving and caring for others without showing favoritism? There's some questions to consider for women. Are you honoring your brothers and your actions and your appearance? Are you also walking in those boundaries found in the Word? Are you familiar with those boundaries that are found in the Word? And are you communicating in your speech and your actions and your deed and your service? Are you communicating with purity towards all? These are really convicting and challenging questions, I think. And so I don't say them lightly. I don't say them from a place of, well, I got it all figured out and you don't. I'm with you in this. These are hard things. But that's God's call. God's best is for us to relate to each other in honor and purity. So I'd ask you, would you join me in striving to create that culture? and striving to do that? I don't know about you. I want God's best. In my life, I want God's best in this church. I think that's where it's going to come from. And so those are a couple things I learned from the book of Ruth, chapter 3, this week. We'll go ahead and pray and close this morning. Thank you, God, for your word, for the truth, for the principles. God, thank you that you have set up faith so that we're not striving to just do good works to be right with you. God, when we understand that Jesus Christ came into the world to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, we're free. We're not bound into a series of good works of trying to do the right thing to be right with you. God, we are right when we receive that free gift of salvation. And so when we look to the word, we go, okay, God, you've got your best for us. You've got the best for our lives. You're asking us to live in these ways. So God, help each one of us, each one of us individually to pursue honor and purity. And God, we need your strength. We need your help. We need your spirit. We need your guidance because the world around us is running the other way from that. And the world around us is going to reap what they sow. God, help us as believers to pursue a different fruit to pursue different standards. God, thank you that you've given us wisdom. Thank you that you've placed wise people in our lives. Wise people in our lives to help guide us. Lord, help us to ask. Help us to listen. Help us to do. Thank you for communicating your wisdom to us through other people. And through your scripture. 
Lord, help us as we go out from here this morning into our week, into our world, into those challenges that we face. Thank you for walking beside us. Thank you for placing us in a family of believers where we can do that together. In Jesus' name, amen.